We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here with us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will speak to us as we read your word together. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's a joy to be with you this morning. I think this is the fourth time I've preached at Holy Cross. Uh, I'm sorry I don't remember all of your names. But I'm really glad that most of you are wearing name tags. That makes life a little easier for me. My name is Grant. I am married. I have one wife and two children and one grand grandchild whose name is Samuel, who is four years old. And it's a great age because you know everything when you're four years old. Uh, you may, you'll have to excuse me if I look a little bleary. My body hasn't figured out what time zone I'm in. I was in Ethiopia three days ago, so I'm still kind of working on getting back uh, on an even keel. Speaking of Ethiopia, tomorrow is the feast of Timcat. Let me explain that to you. In our church in the Western world, probably the, the two most important festivals we have I think you'll all agree with me because you probably all come to church on those days, are Christmas and Easter, right? Yeah. However, <laughs> in, the in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which is a very large church, and I was the bishop for the Anglicans, there were 15,000 of us. Uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church has somewhere between 33 and 40 million people. It's a massive church which I never heard of in seminary. Nobody ever told me about the Ethiopian Orthodox Church or the Coptic Church or the Chaldean Church. Well, a lot of things you don't learn in seminary. <laughs> We're trying to fix it. We're trying to fix it. In the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, Christmas and Easter are really important. In fact, let me, Christmas is really important not only because they, they, they have Christmas, but because the day after Christmas they play a sport that's only played around Christmas time, Gogena, which means Christmas, which involves uh, two teams chasing a ball around a field with sticks, uh, which looks really like hockey. Now, I'm a Canadian, so this excites me. <laughs> in, in, the, in the Salamta uh, magazine in the Ethiopian Airlines uh, uh, magazine, which I saw recently, they said that Gena had its origins with the shepherds who were so excited about the birth of Jesus that they ran around singing and shouting and hitting things with sticks. <laughs> so, so it makes a lot of sense to me. But the two most important feasts in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church are called Meskel and Timkat. Now Meskel, I think you know, although you don't call it by that name, the word meskel in Amharic means cross, and it's the Feast of the Holy Cross, and it's celebrated in September. So since this is Holy Cross Church, you've probably heard of that one. Uh, it, it, it's a wonderful festival. In Addis Ababa, they celebrate it all over the country, but in the capital in Addis Ababa, they have a square in the center of the city called Meskel Square. Half a million people come. On, Mes on the Feast of Meskel, they have 
a huge parade with floats and choirs and singing and dancing. There's a big tree that looks like a Christmas tree that they light on fire at the end and everybody rushes, half a million people, it's a bit dangerous. They rush forward to get some of the ashes. They put the ashes on their forehead in the sign of a cross. And the patriarch is there and he talks about the message of the cross. Uh, so it's kind of a combination of Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, and the Rose Bowl Parade. <laughs> so Mescal's really big. But even bigger than Mescal is a festival called Timcat, and Timcat is tomorrow in Ethiopia. The word Timcat means baptism, and it's the feast of the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, which confused me when I went to Ethiopia. Why should the festival of the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist be more important than Christmas or Easter? Let me come back to that later. So you have to pay attention now because you want to know the answer. John the Baptist was a wild man. He lived in the desert. He wore camel's hair, we are told. He ate locusts and wild honey, which is not too bad. Wild honey is delicious. And actually, so are locusts uh, and lots of protein. He was a prophet. He acted like a prophet, and he spoke like a prophet. And he was quite famous. John the Baptist appears in every one of the Gospels. There, there aren't all that many characters that appear in every one of the Gospels. But John the Baptist is there right at the beginning of the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He even appears in the book of Acts. We, we read one passage where he's mentioned already this morning. Uh, but there are others. There's a, a guy named Apollos that we read about in the book of Acts who is from Egypt. And he, he's preaching, but you know, he doesn't know much about Jesus. He knows more about John the Baptist, and he has to be corrected. He's from Egypt. Uh, when Paul was in Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor, a country that we now call Turkey, Paul ran across a group of disciples. And after talking with them, he realized that they weren't disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was famous. There was a Jewish writer named Josephus who wrote... Uh, history of the Jewish people around the time of Jesus, just before the time of Jesus and just after. And Josephus has only two or three references to Jesus, very brief references to Jesus. He has pages about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was more famous than Jesus at one point. But John the Baptist consistently, in every one of the Gospels, every time we meet him in the, in the pages of the New Testament, John the Baptist is saying, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. So let's look at today's passage. In verse 15 of chapter 3, if you have Bibles, that's really good. You get extra points, right? I think it would be really good if people brought their Bible to church. It's okay. You don't have to be a Baptist to bring your Bible to church. <laughs> Anglicans believe the Bible. But if you don't have your Bible, it's, it's, in, it's in the bulletin. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, listen to the words, expectation. People are hoping for something. They are longing for something to change. Why is that? Well, the people of Israel are living under Roman rule. They're living on, in an occupied state. They are being oppressed. They are a possessed nation. 
possessed by a legion of Roman soldiers. Like the ancient people of Israel in bondage in Egypt, the people of Israel in the time of Jesus were under a dictator. In the Old Testament, it was Pharaoh. In the New Testament, it's Caesar. And they want deliverance. They want to be set free. So they're expecting something. And when they see John, and when they hear John's preaching, they think, maybe this is what we were looking for. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the Messiah, the King. Maybe this is the Christ, they say. After all, it says in, in the Old Testament reading, which you read today, just flip over the piece of paper, uh, it talks about the servant of God. And that God, in the second line there, it says, I, God has put his spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nations. This is what the people of Israel in the time of Jesus desperately wanted. They wanted someone filled with the Holy Spirit who would bring justice, who would turn the world right side up. There are many other passages in the Old Testament that talk about this expectation that at the end of time, the Spirit would, would rest on the Messiah and the Messiah would judge the world justly. Well, John was obviously a prophet and he was obviously famous. But he says, in verse 16, he answered them all, I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John points away from himself and points to Jesus. There's an altarpiece uh, in Germany uh, done by an artist named Grunwald, and it's a, it's a bit grotesque. It's a very painful piece to look at. In the center is Jesus crucified on the cross uh, in, in obvious, utter pain and suffering. And on the right side of this triptych in this altarpiece is John the Baptist, and he is looking at us. He is looking at those who are looking at the painting, but he is pointing at Jesus. This is what John the Baptist does in every place that we meet him in the New Testament. Let, let me just read from one of the other Gospels, from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Uh, it says this, this is, the this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. They asked him, who are you? He said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is what John is doing. He's preparing the way for Jesus. The next day, he saw Jesus coming, and he says to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, John says, I must decrease he must increase. Jesus must increase. John is constantly pointing away from himself and pointing to Jesus. In fact, in this verse, in verse 16, he says something quite stunning. 
he says that the strap of Jesus' sandals, he is not worthy to untie. Now, for, for us in our culture, that doesn't sound too stunning. But in the culture of Jesus, in the first century, this is an amazing statement. You see, a disciple could ask, uh, sorry, a rabbi could ask his disciple to do any kind of service for him, except one thing, care for the feet. A disciple could not be required by a rabbi to care for the rabbi's feet. What does John the Baptist say? He says, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. Only a slave could be required to take care of the feet. John the Baptist is saying, I am not worthy to be a slave of Jesus. An amazing statement. But then he talks about the ministry of Jesus himself. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Do we have any farmers here? No wheat farmers? Okay, well, in Ethiopia, they, they do grow wheat, but even more, they grow a grain called teff, which is quite similar, but more nutritious than wheat. And we used to drive along in Ethiopia at harvest season and see huge mounds of teff, which had brought, been brought in from the fields. And there would be people out there with a huge fork, which looked uh, like a pitchfork, with only two prongs instead of three. And they would take the teff and throw it up in the air. And the grain would fall to the ground, and the chaff would blow away. This is what happens with wheat and with teff. If you want the good stuff, you have to blow off the chaff. And so that's what John the Baptist says Jesus is going to do. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus is going to sort out the world. Jesus is going to make the world right. And he's going to do that by judging by sorting out that which is evil from that which is good. Jesus has not come simply to tell us how much he loves us, but also to tell us how much sin and evil are horrible things that need to be done away with. Then John the Baptist says something, again, quite amazing in verse 18. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. Good news. What was he just preaching in verse 17? He was talking about judgment. But Luke calls it good news. We don't usually think of judgment as good news. But if you are oppressed, if you are, you are enslaved, if you are imprisoned unjustly, then judgment is good news. Because judgment will mean deliverance. Judgment will mean freedom. The coming of judgment is good news. We get an example of the need for that good news in the next verse which begins with the word but. 
the word but is always significant in the Bible. There's a wonderful passage in Ephesians, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in which he talks about the difficult situation, the terrible situation of the human race, that we are imprisoned by sin and death, that we're enemies of God, we've turned away from him. And then Paul says, but God, who is rich in mercy, but God. Well, the opposite is happening in this passage. Luke tells us about judgment. He tells us about the reality that, that Jesus is going to come and separate the wheat from the chaff. But then in verse 19 it says, But Herod. God, John the Baptist, Jesus, they have enemies. And Herod is one of them. This is Herod the Tetrarch, the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus by killing all the babies in Bethlehem. Herod the Tetrarch was following in his father's footsteps. We don't get a long list of everything Herod has done wrong. Luke just says Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done. And then Herod added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. And as you probably know, he ends up executing John the Baptist. Yes, the good news is coming. There is, there is good news. There's deliverance coming. Oppression will be put to an end. Freedom will come. The Messiah is about to arrive. But that doesn't mean there is no more opposition. There is horrible opposition in this case, in the form of Herod the Tetrarch. But Luke has gotten ahead of himself. So now he goes back to the present. So verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, obviously by John, and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The baptism that John preached and that he did was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, this has caused Christians throughout the ages a bit of confusion. If the baptism of John the Baptist was for repentance and forgiveness, then why was Jesus baptized? Because the New Testament tells us quite clearly that he was without sin. That Jesus never did anything wrong. That he lived in constant fellowship with God the Father. So we need to understand what's going on here. What's going on here with John's baptism is that he's telling the nation of Israel that they need to change, that they need to turn around and go in a different direction. You see, sin is what got them into trouble in the first place. The people of Israel, through the latter part of the Old Testament, were turning away from God. And so the prophets, over and over again, warned Israel that if they continued to sin, if they continued to be unjust, if they continued to worship idols, then God would take them into exile. They would lose their land. And they would be conquered by the Babylonians. And that, in fact, is what happened. They went into exile. 
Now they're back in their own land, but they're still under foreign rule. They're still under Roman rule. So how do they get out from under this trap that they're in? And John said, the thing that got us into trouble in the first place was sin. So what we need to do is repent and return to the Lord. Repent and receive God's forgiveness. So what Jesus does when he goes down into the water of baptism, John's baptism, is he is identifying himself with his people. He is saying, yes, this people of which I am a part needs to turn around, needs to repent. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, has a stunning statement. Uh, one of the things that Paul says in that verse is that Jesus knew no sin. But Paul also says, God made him to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes our situation on himself so that we could receive his righteousness. You see, at Christmas, we remember that God became a human being. In the baptism of Jesus, by John, we remember that Jesus identified himself with sinful Israel and therefore with the entire sinful human race so that he could bring us forgiveness and new life. And in this act of humility, of Jesus going into the water, something amazing happens. Luke says, the heavens opened. And two things happen when the heaven opens. First, there is a voice. A voice from God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the second is the physical appearance of a dove, the Holy Spirit, coming and resting on Jesus. You see, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church knows that Timcat is important, knows that the feast of the baptism of Jesus by John is important, because this is the first public appearance of the Trinity. God the Father's voice, the Holy Spirit descending, and Jesus in the water of baptism. God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this event. Shouldn't we pay more attention to this feast? We should. You see, Jesus' ministry is not his alone. The ministry of Jesus is the embodiment of the ministry of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who made the world, who loves the world, and wants to change the world. The Spirit, according to the Old Testament, will come at the end of time. And now the Spirit has come and rested on Jesus. The end times have come in Jesus. And with the end times has come the power of God for salvation. So what does this have to do with us? Two things, really quickly. The first is that our ministry should be the same as John the Baptist. Our ministry as the church should be to point to Jesus. Whether that's through our words or our actions, however we do it. Everything we do in word and deed as disciples of Jesus should point to him. 
The second thing is to recognize that we are weak, we are sinful, and we need the Holy Spirit to empower us. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to empower him to do the ministry that God gave him, how much more do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? We who are sinful, weak human beings, how much do we need the power of God's Holy Spirit to come and rest on us and to help us to live the life that God wants us to live so that we can glorify the Father, so that the church will be upbuilt, so that people will turn to Jesus and know new life in him. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for this remembrance of Timcat, of the baptism of Jesus. Help us, help us to submit ourselves to you, you who are the Lord of all, but who submitted yourself to the waters of baptism for us. We are not worthy to untie the thong of your sandals, but you love us so much that you have come to love us, to die for us, and give your life for us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.